Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 235. And in today's episode, the single topic that I'm going to be going over is um, the approach to upland hunting training. And I've gotten to see, I already know kind of how my own group of Rocky Mountain Pointing Lab Club people does stuff. But it's always, I love being able to see other people, what they think, what they do, and what their approach is. And I've been able to see some of that lately. And of course, that always spurs on the, the new topic for me. But I wanted to, again, just throw out some food for thought. Because there's a lot of people that, you know, know a whole lot out there. So I'm not saying that it, the way anybody does anything is wrong. I'm just saying uh, what an interesting approach that we've kind of developed over the years. There's upland hunting, of course, and in case anyone's listening to this and isn't sure what that is, that means when you go hunt birds that are literally, they're not flying in when they're decoyed like a duck or a goose is. You know, they're literally in their living environment out in the field, could be out in the desert, up in the mountains. So it's pheasant, it's quail, it's grouse, it's ptarmigan, it's just any kind of ground-dwelling bird. Uh, that lives in the field naturally and so they're out there and then we take our dogs because every you know pheasant under glass and and quail and chucker and you know there's some that's some really way better than duck as far as I'm concerned but that's some real good eating and so upland hunting is different than sitting in a duck blind or sitting in a goose blind and waiting for birds to fly by you actually have to go find them and so what a lot of people do is just go do that. And one of two things, either kind of let the dog figure out the game. And, yet, you know, a smart dog and a talented dog eventually will. Or the other approach people have is take them out with a dog that already knows it and let them learn that way by following the other dog around. And I know there are literally a zillion cases where both of those ways have worked. Right? So I understand that. But the shortest way from point A to point B on that is to help them acquire all the various skills and tools that they're going to need to carry that out effectively. There's nothing worse, you know, than taking a dog out upland hunting over which you have no control. And so you let it out and it, you know, see something way over there fly. You know, there's a big raven that just flew from one thing to another and they see that and take off or or they just run out there because this is cool. Let's, let's go. Or they follow another dog out there who's teaching them just go running crazy. And then birds are flying up if they're there. Or at least you're warning them that you're present. Especially when you start yelling and screaming at them. Or whistling. Or using the electric collar to, air quote, stop the bad behavior. <laughs> and so then, you know, every bird, smart bird in the world knows to get out of there right now. The only way you can overcome that is have pen-raised birds that don't know anything and stick them out there. And then when your dog does crazy stuff, it's not quite as bad. But so that's a, that's one way. That's Nobody likes that, right? Nor does anybody like to go up when hunting with a dog that's walking next to their side. <laughs> because it doesn't know why it's out there. Or it doesn't want to go out there and do that. So there's a lot of... Um, a lot of interesting introductions and, and beginnings to upland training that are very counterproductive. 
So as someone who's done it for a living for a long, long time, being paid for by other people. And I, I always bring that up because I, when someone pays you to train their dog, there is a very strong obligation when you do that. And that is that you actually deliver the goods. You don't go through the motions and put it on birds X times and I taught it to quarter and then, you know, and call that a trained dog. When somebody pays you, you need to give them back what it is uh, that they would like to get, assuming it, the talent is there. And if it's not, then, of course, you have to tell them. But that's a trainer podcast, which I want to do here pretty soon. But you have to, uh, you have to produce the thing. So for a number of decades here with all these different dogs, flushing dogs, pointing dogs, disinterested dogs, crazy maniac dogs. Um, I just spent a lot of time working on how do you do this as expediently as possible, but doing it without the correction side. I mean, yeah, there's places in there where you got to say, nah, nah, bad, that's not going to work. But it's far easier and way more enjoyable as far as I'm concerned to teach them the things that you need. And as with everything else, at least that I teach or provide or the way that I do it, I always start with the most fundamental basics. The easiest way to teach your flushing or pointing dog to upland hunt is before you've taught all the control stuff, before they really know very much, is exposure, one, to that world, to the world of the field. And two, exposure to the scent of live birds. Preferably the real birds that you're going to eventually be hunting. So if you can get your hand on live quail, live chucker, you know, live pheasants a bit much for a puppy. Don't do that because one, it's bigger than them and very scary. And you don't ever want them to become scared of, of their prey. So if you can do that, and we did that a little bit last week at our introduction to birds, first time for some dogs. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, sometimes it's unnerving, and, and there are usually, though, they just go nuts because it's like, oh, my gosh, this is why I'm on the, in the world. This is my thing, and it's, that's, there's nothing more fun than seeing that happen. But, so we're trying to introduce them to the smell of live birds that are ones that they will hunt. Uh, and I say that, you guys, because when you're hunting and you don't want your dog to go lock up on a magpie, um, because that's of no use to you. It's real cute when they point the robins in the backyard or, you know, they point the dove you shot or whatever it is. But that is nothing you want actually when you're hunting. You want them to be pretty clear on what it is they're looking for. So if you don't have any other bird, pigeons are better than no bird. But also pigeons, the kind of rats of the sky. Also not something that you, well, they're squab. I guess you could hunt, but then that's still more like a dove hunt than it is a, in the upland thing. But anyway, quail, chucker, only birds teach birds. And dead birds, for my pointing people, dead birds are for retrieving. They are not for pointing. Wounded birds that are still alive are for retrieving. And so you don't want to, for the pointing dogs, go fling out dead bird parts. You know, people like to tie wings on stuff and stick it out there. Um, or, you know, you can use frozen birds to teach them that there's something to look for. But that's for your dog that you always want to 
be flushing that bird up. For your pointing dogs, do not teach them to go out there, find something in the field and grab it because that's very counter to what you want. So particularly for you pointing guys, that, that live bird is, is real good. And it uh, also really teaches your flushing dog a lot faster <laughs> to get very excited about what's out there because something alive is very, very different from something that is not alive. And I always say it's like dating a mannequin, a mannequin or dating your partner. You know, partners always better. <laughs> and it's the same thing, exactly the same thing with this. So exposure to that early uh, is real, real good. Again, no dead birds for pointers. If you have a dog you want to develop the point in, uh, it'd be better not to do the bird thing than just put dead guys out there. Because dead guys, wounded guys, if blood's sent on a bird, means pick it up and bring it to me because that's what's going to happen in real life or in competition. You know, you've got to go get the bird whether it's alive or not alive. Now, that's one thing. The other thing is exposure to the field. And that's very important because they don't just intuitively, innately learn how to, what, what the whole thing is. They have no context. Gosh, I really want to get this across. They have no context for the field. They don't know about upland hunting. They don't know about the wind. They don't know about various scents. You know, there's scents at different levels. Down within the cover, at the towards the top of the cover, above the cover, there's scent carried different ways, different distances. The humidity changes everything. The breeze is what it's all about because they only gather data, scent data, from the direction from which the wind comes. So it's very good if you can expose your dog without the bird thing to a field, which is why I always say my most powerful training tool, whether it's for upland dogs or not upland dogs, is the walk. Because that's where they learn about the field, moving through it. Okay, you guys, this is not the park. This is not the soccer field at the local junior high. This is a field where there's weeds and grass and pokey things and sticky things and logs and dirt and rocks so they learn that the field is what it what it actually is wherever you are sometimes it's a corn stubble field man that's tough to get through sometimes it's like we have out here sagebrush and cactus that's tough to get through a lot of strong scents uh, if you're in alfalfa for out here in sage i don't know what down south and back east, the strong scents are, but I'm sure there's things that really make it hard to detect fewer parts per million of the, you know, off-gassed bird scent. <clears throat> so they have to learn that. They have to learn how to negotiate. A puppy or even a young dog or an experienced dog cannot learn all that <clears throat> at the same time. So it's real easy if you introduce the bird thing and then you take the walk with your dog, any breed, any type, I don't care what, <clears throat> my dachshund has done it, and it was, you know, really taught her a lie. All, all my dogs have done it. it. That's how they learn about the world and negotiating. They learn about using their eyes. They learn about using their noses. They learn about how scents are different. They learn about the wind. And those of you that are obsessed with teaching your dog to quarter, it is the wind that makes their movement in the field what it needs to be. So when you teach them very young 
And some learn quickly and some takes a while. It's not so much a matter of how good their nose is, which is always what everybody thinks. It's about how good their central processing unit is. When they get that scent, what do they make of it? Some dogs get scent and it has no meaning. Many eight-week-old puppies I've put on birds, stepped on them, walked right over top of them. Nothing computed. But with more exposure, particularly when they're mentally ready, that begins to compute. It takes time for dogs to figure that out. And it's most readily figured out when that's the thing they're doing and not a bunch of other stuff at the same time. Fastest way to get there. So if you introduce the bird thing kind of in one spot, the bird scent, and then if you do the walk in the field and you begin to teach them to take the responsibility themselves to smell things, to look, to watch, to respond to their environment, and of course you, then they know that stuff. But it takes some time to learn that, most easily taught by doing one thing at a time. So the best way to introduce birds, dogs to upland is doing a walk out in the field. There's 10 million things they're learning out there that you're not aware of, to, uh, so many. And if once you do this, you'll understand that, but give them that opportunity and they learn to stay with you. So that's the easiest way to start that. Flusher or pointer, it's exactly the same. Teach them about birds. Now for all, for all the, and you know, most dogs I know are looking for birds so they can go get them and bring them to you. Not all of them. So I'm mostly talking about the ones where the retrieve is a big part of this. So you're working, you, the retrieving is real important. If all you're ever going to do is hunt upland, retrieving is super important. Because if it lands in a big thick stand of something that's really hard to get to, if it lands in the dead cattails at the edge of the lake, you need to have a dog with the skills to be able to dig that out, to watch, to focus on it, to pay attention, to understand the area of the fall, and then to hunt diligently the area of the fall. So retrieving work is super important for upland dogs. To the degree that they like it, capitalize on that. And for our retrievers, you know, that's, that's why they love to go hunt that stuff. Because then they're going to get to go get it. Now in the real world, they would like to eat it. But our training takes, you know, that's not, <laughs> that's not their reward. Uh, but sometimes when they're little puppies, if you let them get a hold of one, they'll go, oh man, this is better than pro plan by a long shot so <laughs> gotta be a little careful of that but that's the way we get going so they begin to use their nose and begin to understand why they're using their nose again for the puppies it'll be to eat stuff that's going to make you sick part of the deal it's all i can say don't correct them don't get after them i've had people ask me can i use electric collar to make them stop eating you know rabbit poop or something I'm like no don't teach them that bolts of lightning exist out there and you're never quite sure when you're going to get one you know you just got to deal with that and you got to you know use a check cord if you have to to get away get them away sometimes they're they're going to get it down for you get there so that's very very important that's that right there those two things i just told you make this so easy it makes the rest of it so easy so now you can take them out in a field at first, they're frightened when they're little, or if they've never done it, they have no context. They have no context. They do not know I'm an upland hunter. And if I go out there and move 
in 45 degree angles in front of this guy, I will find something that makes me very happy. They do not know that. They just know you're in the field and there you are. So you have to let them understand and turn the responsibility over to them. All Those of you that want a dog to quarter in front of you, you you're doing that's you are having the dog respond to you more than locating birds so if you teach the dog to go with you in the direction you're going and then that the wind is what provides them uh, the information that they need and you you don't just do it they don't get that in three times they get that when you do it all the time for puppies that should be a daily thing when they get a little older, at least a weekly thing where they learn, unless you have time to do it every day, but not birds, just the field stuff. So they get very skilled in the thinking part of the smelling stuff that they have to do. Really, really, really helpful. After that, okay, once they've learned that stuff and once while at the same time you're working on the retrieving stuff, so when it comes time to start dropping these birds or providing them an opportunity to retrieve that they will then bring it back to you <laughs> because if they don't now we're fighting an out of control disobedience problem so have that part taken care of before you start the bird part out in the field get them where if they get either if they grab a bird flusher or pointer or or just one flushes up and they want to go after it Get them where you can get them back. Otherwise, they will learn. Just go chase them. Go across a ditch, cross a road, over the little thing, through the fence. Just get it. You don't want them. As a little puppy, That's you, you have to let them do that. they got to chase birds. Birds can bring no corrections to a puppy. Because a correction on a bird, because you're trying to control them, make birds bring trouble. And it's very hard to get a dog to go boldly out and confidently out and look for birds when they never know when they did something wrong and they're going to get in trouble. And they're too young to understand. So if you build these things one upon the other, we'll go. you go through the field with me, we're not going to have things that you're going to want to chase. And then pretty soon you develop your obedience and your retrieving as you're doing all this. Little puppies, bird exposure. Bigger dogs, got to be able to get them back. So, okay, we got the retrieving, we can call our dog back, whether it's just because our obedience has been so good or because we're far enough along that I can now use my electric collar to enforce here, or whatever, you, whatever, that, whatever your command is for, come to me. So, and it's not, it's not no bird, it's not, it's not, I don't know, but all kinds of stuff. It's just that if you're running the other way, I'm going to call you. So now we are enforcing something. We are not punishing them. We are enforcing here. Huge difference. They understand that if you've done your obedience. They understand here. So now you can call them to you and keep them from going across the road and getting there through the fence or something not good or into somebody else's field where they can get shot. So it's not corrections. I personally don't have very many corrections in the upland field and with some dogs they're so robust and so vigorous that I probably have to do maybe on a on a woe or on the steadiness part I'll have to do some corrections but for most dogs that's not where I do any of it if they're out of control I go back and I get control 
Then I go back out in the field and use the control, not correction, but just enforcing a here or a sit or a woe or whatever. That's a key part to having a dog that really, really boldly, confidently goes and does that while under control. So I know a lot of people t teach this stuff out in the field, which now we have associations with birds and sometimes trouble. And though you may understand it, they may not. It's not in the right context for a dog. So there's a lot of gun-shy stuff, bird blinking stuff. That is when they go find a bird and then turn the other way because it's like, oh, that could be trouble. You took away that passion and that conviction about what they were there for because they don't understand what you're trying to teach. Gosh, I can't tell you how important that is. So once you can get out in the field, the dog stays with you. If a bird flies up, you can stop them. Um, if they're flushing dogs, you know, you want them, the bird to fly up. You don't want them to chase every bird that does flushing dogs. You don't. Because if you're hunting wild birds and a hen flies up, there's no shooting. Shouldn't be. No shooting. So they can't go chase that dog. So you, then, then comes the next step, right, which is teaching them. When a bird flies, it's not yours. Unless I tell you. Or you see it drop. If you don't, you know, some people don't care about steady to wing and shot. Can't imagine that. But, they, you know, they don't care. So, because then if you don't drop it, what happens? <laughs> They're still chasing it. So that's a, that's a tough one. Um, for the pointing dogs, you want them to go on point and not move unless a bird does. And then you need to be able to get the bird up, especially in the beginning. All of you that want a pointer flusher, first you need to get the point real staunch before you try to, and I don't mean first in a month or two, I mean for a couple years get a staunch point, then go ahead if you want and try and, some dogs can do that, then they can produce it. Usually what happens is they point until you get close and they produce it because they know what's going to happen. And if you're happy with that, that's fine. But they do need to hold their point until you are in a, in a good position to get a shot. Now I'm going to address the quartering thing. Quartering is geometric movement in response to the direction you are walking. Now if the wind is coming at you, that is exactly what the dog should do. Cross through as many vectors of wind as possible to, at, while staying in range. So therefore, a dog that has been taught how to use the wind and what that does for you and that they stay with you walking through the field, then they are going to cross the wind, not because you are directing them or they're supposed to, but because that's how they gather their data and their information. So if you're walking directly into the wind, they're going to go, they're going to take as many pieces, as much of that wind as they can, wind vectors. If you're going into a crosswind, there's no point in going back and forth in front of you and encountering just a few wind vectors. So what they're going to do when you're going crosswind is do a little bit more of a loop in front of you so that they can cross as much of that wind as possible while staying in range. So I, I've never taught a dog to quarter. I don't even know how because I have no interest in that. I need that dog to gather wind, as much wind data as possible, know what to do with it when they smell it, while staying in the range that I want them. And a dog that's been t brought up through this way never, never has to be taught how to move through a field. They already know. And they stay in whatever range you like. You know, if you've got a flushing dog, 
the range is quite obvious. They've got to stay within gun range. So then they're going to they're going to move in a kind of a loop in front of you, but they can't go any farther than gun range. It does no good for them to go back and forth and encounter very little wind. They aren't going to do that. It would make no sense to them. And so asking them to do it uh, is is taking away their their innate ability and going never mind that just do what I tell you that's a real disheartener in the field because you're basically kind of like shackling them a little bit they can't move in the way they would innately do if they were hunting for their own survival and now you could no do this so I think a lot of people aren't always aware of what that is the other thing is if you're out there and I, people like to teach range and teach a lot of things, teach quartering, uh, with a check cord. So we're just constantly pulling them in a direction that they should be going instead of the one they want to. And assuming that through, they will sit there and noodle that out by association. And put all the stuff together, oh, when the wind's like this, and we're moving like this, and he's there, I'm supposed to do this. You know, I'm, there must be some dogs that do that. I don't think I've ever known one. When you're doing all the work by tugging, pulling, lugging, doing all, constantly telling them what to do, constantly telling them the direction to go, when you're doing all the work, uh, it'd be just like having a kid for whom you do all the work. You drive them everywhere, you fix their food, you clean their room, you take care of everything for them, you check their homework, maybe do their homework, just constantly doing the work. They're never going to learn anything other than this is awesome. All right, I need this. Will you please go do this? So when you are teaching dogs, particularly in the upland, one of the most important things I've found is to transfer responsibility from you teaching them what you want to them carrying it out. You know, they have to learn to stay in gun range. They don't do that with a cord. I mean, as long as you got the cord, it works. When you don't have the cord, then there's no one pulling them this way or that way. Then they're going to go back to doing what they'd like to do, whatever that is. But there, and I have podcasts on how do you teach a dog to stay in gun range. And you teach them in a matter of several days. It's easiest when they're young and you do the walk. And then as soon as you get some controls, there's a few things that you can do where you say, no, 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 it's up to you. You find, you make sure you stay in range. That's true too, guys. It, you can actually do that. So then, the, when the dog knows how to stay in range, at the same time, fully engaged in their pursuit, it just doesn't get any better than that. There's no yelling, screaming, whistling, anger, correction. There's just two, you and the dog, moving through the field looking for the bird, all in agreement about how you're doing it. Everyone doing their own part. You choosing how you're going to, the direction you're moving through the field, you being ready to drop the bird, and them doing everything else. And it really can be that way. Flushing or pointing. So in terms of that part, for the pointing guys, you don't teach them woe and you don't scream woe out in the oven field when it doesn't mean anything to them. You know, I've seen people say, well, to dogs that never heard the word. But I know now they're going to, it's well, they'll associate standing there and pointing with, whoa, man, not in the heroin field. <laughs> you got to teach a whole series, and I have a bunch of stuff like that. I have videos of that. It's in the book. You have to teach a dog how to resist incredible temptation and remain motionless and empty. 
that's what you have to do. <laughs> and there's, it's fun to do. It's, it's really fun. And when you do that with a dog and then you go out in the field and they're on point and that, that pheasant does its cackly thing and runs or flies up or whatever, they know they still, they're used to resisting extreme temptation. They're used to it. It is understood. So if you give a whoa there as a reminder, they're like, I know, I know, I know. Not moving. And you don't have to correct. Because again, when you're correcting on birds, birds are bringing bad things. So that's the way you get that going. And for the flushing dogs, it's not too difficult to teach a dog at the flight of a bird or the, the, the shot of a gun, you sit down. There's this drills. You start with a bumper. You start in your yard work. You start with a bumper. When the bur bump bursts up, man, your bottom goes down. And then you enforce it, and you teach them to do it. And then with birds, pretty soon you're going to have to do it with the lock. But you got to have that sit where they're like, no matter how tempting, sit overrules temptation. It, they're not going to, association doesn't overrule anything. It's a kind of a strong suggestion from you. It needs to be more than a strong suggestion. It has to be the rule. And then when, if the gun goes off, I, you know, I think they should stay there. But if you're hunting and stuff and you need them to go early, send them. But you need, you can teach that also not out in the field, in the yard. So the bird never brings a problem and then go out there and enforce what you've taught. When you put it together step by step like that, you have a dog that is a hundred percent team partner. They take responsibility for everything they're supposed to do. They are conditioned under the extremely tempting things to still do the right thing. Just takes time and patience and building one thing at a time and making no assumptions that they know what they're doing, making no assumptions about they should move in a certain geometric pattern because watch a Watch a wild canine. Watch a coyote hunt. They don't hunt in. They hunt using all of their senses, and the wind, and listening, and looking. They. That's how they do it. And that's what our dogs would do too, given the opportunity. You just have to teach them to do it within the confines of the way you hunt and the activities you're carrying out. So I just thought I'd throw that out. Kind of long-winded as always, but it's it's really enjoyable training because you have full buy-in from the dog when you start it right full buy-in all you're trying to do is kind of all right now we're going to rein you in on another level but i'm going to teach you outside of this and then i'm going to implement it over here and i know you're going to understand so you have there's no gun shy there's no walking at your heels there's no running out in the field and chasing the birds up they don't follow another dog because this has nothing to do with another dog they are hunting for you. So when you take your young dog out, folks, with somebody else's dog and uh, three other dogs and all that before they know, have any context for what they're doing, this is like dropping them off at the beach party, right? Woo, this is fun. I'm going swimming. I'm going to chase this one around. They, they don't, they're learning stuff, but probably not what you want. So if you teach them independently, this is what this is about. This is what those birds are. This is how you find them. This is how we move through the field. And then later when you hunt with other dogs, you get, it doesn't matter. You know, they don't care what the other dog is doing as long as it doesn't go get in their way. 
so you can hunt. And I've done it. Five dogs across five people. Hunting down a huge field of CRP. No interference from anybody. Because the dogs were hunting for their people. And they knew what that was. And they also knew how to take responsibility for doing the right thing. Oh, man, it just doesn't get better than that. And then there's no fights. And there's nobody's got dog stealing the other guy's bird. And then these guys are mad. I don't want to hunt next to him. I don't want him. You know, all of that's gone. And if you don't, if you're hunting with people that like that big free-for-all deal, well, then just go shoot for them. Go take your dog out later. I mean, there's a lot of ways, particularly when they're young. When they get older, you can do whatever you want. But when you're in the teaching mode, be sure you're teaching exactly what you want to. So when you drop your dog off, everybody lets them out of the truck, and they're all running around. We're at a beach party. That's what it is. There's no way they can just know that stuff. So maybe teach them stuff before you go to the beach party so that you know they're going to do the right thing and they understand what this is all about. So that's today's. We're getting close to spring. I think, what, oh, two weeks off maybe? Um, hoping we all get a, a beautiful spring. Season's already started, uh, competitive season. So good luck to everybody. Um, stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy, and I will be back soon.